0: Again, the doors close at four o'clock Pacific today. You can sign up at kathyhaar.com slash join. I cannot wait to spend 12 weeks with you and watch you become a master at manifesting the most gorgeous experiences and opportunities and abundance into your life.
1: Fundamentally, the greatest gift you can give yourself and consequently the world is to realize that you are everything you're looking for at the deepest level.
0: Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you are already feeling a little bit of that exhale, that December holiday out of office feeling. I hope you're giving yourself some of that time to slow down. And I really hope that you're prioritizing self care because, you know, it's amazing. I'm with my family back home on the East coast and it's so beautiful, like what I'm really learning about the things that still need to heal for me and more ways in which I can find more love inside of myself. You know, I was reading something on Instagram the other day, and it said, instead of walking around thinking about how you might have to protect your energy, you could just project your own energy. You know what I mean? Like, think about someone like the Dalai Lama, okay? I don't know him personally, but he seems like the kind of person that regardless of What environment he's in, he just is going to come with love. He's going to offer peace. He's going to bring that into the space. And then that becomes very much what he continues to experience. And so I think that when we have family, when we have holidays, when we have expectations, when we have these kinds of events, I think it can shine a light on where we can find more peace by being more in control of where we're putting our attention and focus as opposed to just kind of allowing the environment around us to decide. And also maybe part of really learning how to love is just accepting whatever is, and that's really loving people. And then at the same time, just being there for yourself. So... I know that the holidays can be a mixed bag and my parents are divorced. And so there's definitely layers to things and complexities to things and, uh, continued healing that goes on in these times. It becomes more, more prevalent, but it's beautiful at the same time. This, this journey that we're all on, but I feel like this human journey requires a lot of courage. Anyways, I am so excited about today's episode because the gentleman who is here, Peter Krohn, is amazing. I am blown away by his grace and his wisdom. So I can't wait to dive into that. I do want to let you know before we get started that I love teaching people where business meets soul. I love teaching women specifically how to grow a business, how to start and scale a business, because I started this business, this platform, everything I'm doing now, I started in 2017, I was 37. I had three kids, 10 days old, three years old, and four and a half. And since I started that business every single year, I have made multi millions. And it's not from having fancy slideshows. It's not from having a big team. It's not from knowing how to do all of these like sequences and email funnels, none of that. Because you know what your audience wants more than all of those things that they tell you? What people want the most is your attention, is your presence. And so every January, I start this program where for three months, I take a group of people through the process of, How do you find what it is that's really your calling? How do you step into it? And how do you start that business and scale it? And we always improve these programs because there's always just another layer that I find needs to be shared and that comes through. So Abundant Ever After 2.0 is going to be launching. The live sessions will launch in January. However, there's already... Many modules that you can get started on today if you join. And the price right now is on pre-sale. And so we always do this. And people always say, Oh my gosh, I wish I would have joined on presale. The price every time we launch it has never changed, but when we run it on presale, the price also is always the same. And just depending on when people buy it, they either get the sale price or they get it for what it always is, the regular price. So if you want to join it, you want this experience and you've been thinking, I want Kathy to be my coach, go to kathyheller.com slash join and be a part of that today and get started. And you'll be all ready for when we start the live sessions in January. All right. Well, I am really thrilled that the brilliant Peter Crone is with us today. He is known as the mind architect. He's also a writer, speaker, coach, and a thought leader in human awakening and potential. He has worked with professional athletes and sports teams, entertainers, and global organizations. And all of his work focuses on helping people and groups redesign their subconscious mind, explore the shared fundamental issues of humanity, and step outside of the 3D world by identifying mental constructs that have been holding us back. His insights are powerful, and I love that he has this balance of compassion, but he also cuts right through the BS. You guys are going to get so much out of what he has to say. So without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Peter Crone. Peter, I am so happy to meet you. I love what you offer in your vibration and your words and all the things. So thank you for coming
1: on. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we got to connect and especially given the depth of amazing work you've done. it's Never lost on me the opportunity that I get to speak with people like you and reach your audience and The intention, of course, being to make a difference.
0: Well, you're so, so sweet. I want to just start diving into all the things that
1: you teach. Let's go. Um,
0: So let's start with what was your spiritual journey that gave you the sort of, I now know that this Mm -hmm. is the work I need to do. Like, Where were you in your life and what was the aha that led you to even do this work?
1: Great question. And I'd say the most pivotal moment was to answer you literally where it was. I was in Santa Monica, California, (laughs) sitting at my $150 IKEA desk in a one bedroom of three, uh, sharing with a couple of other fellas, paying as little rent as I could to survive. And I had been dating this woman who, for me, represented what I thought was you know, sort of the quintessential example of love, right? It was for me at the ripe age of 29, 30, I thought, oh, wow, this is love, right? So we had been together for about a year and a half, and there was a sort of a prelude to us even coming together. But what happened to give me this huge moment was she she left me. And so what I had in my mind's eye, how it occurred to me, what I had described as my source of love, which was this woman, is suddenly gone. So you can imagine the sort of devastation and the desperate men doing desperate things. In my case, it wasn't that desperate. I was just calling buddies and trying to get advice on how to get her back. <laughs> but um, for about six or eight weeks, I, I couldn't sleep. I lost weight. I was you know, just desperately hoping that she would reach out. And we were in touch for a couple of weeks, but there was no semblance of reconciliation in her words. And so I was just at this point sitting at my desk and I had this incessant talk track in my head, which at times it kept me up at night. I remember actually one night waking up and screaming, shut up at my own brain <laughs> because of the questions that were just so, in a sort of almost neurotic way, incessantly trying to plague me with like, where is she? Is she with someone else? Will I see her again? Will I have love like that again? The normal suite of questions that people would have. And I was sitting there at this uh, infamous $150 Ikea desk. And I suddenly got the answer. (laughs) I got the answer to all of the questions simultaneously. And I almost fell out of my chair because it was so simple. And it was, again, like, you know, where is she? Is she with someone else? Will I see her again? And will I have love like that again? And, And a couple of other bedfellows. But the answer was three words. And it was, I don't know. I don't know where she is. I don't know if she's with someone else. I don't know if I'll see her again. I don't know if I have love like that again. It still gives me chills now even telling the story because I had never, I was oblivious to the fact that the nature of life is uncertainty. I was just like most people in my head, constantly trying to figure it out. And with good IQ and being an intellectual chap, you know, I was usually pretty good at speculating, but in this case, I realized the truth versus an opinion. And the truth was, we're all clueless. We don't know what's going to happen. No one's ever known what the future holds. And in that moment, not only did I see the actual nature of life, but for the first time in my life, I found complete peace with it. So I got the answer to all my questions. I don't know. And I was okay not knowing. And the freedom that cascaded through my body is like nothing I've ever experienced. And what's crazy about it, and now this gets more into the science, we could say that's sort of the spirituality. And then the science was within 15 minutes, my phone rang. It wasn't even a cell phone. It was just a landline on the desk. And it was her. And I hadn't spoken to her for about six weeks. And now she's crying saying, I miss you so much. And because of my newfound clarity, which was so profound, I immediately understood why she reached out. Because my previous iteration of myself, which was based in the fear of loss because my parents had died, which is why I fell apart when she left me. I didn't lose her. She, she went somewhere, right? So the narrative of loss also became fictitious, and I saw it for its illusory nature. And so I never lost anything. And at that moment, she called. I suddenly realized, wow, I'm actually available to her because the previous version of our relationship had been based on me with my fears and then her. So the fears were the intermediary that I was trying to avoid, which was the fear of loss. So even though I was a beautiful boyfriend and very kind and very sweet, my my nature was there. It was just contaminated with my own fear. And so at that moment, I realized, wow, energetically, entanglement theory, she didn't know what I'd just been through, or the epiphany I just had, but energetically, the veil of constraint had just dropped. And so she was able to call me. And so that, without doubt, was the most pivotal moment. And from that moment forth, I knew there was nothing else to look for but true freedom.
0: You know what this is like when you just like swoon over stories because they're just straight from the nectar of all we need to hear it's just it's like what you're describing is radical integrity right Mm -hmm. it's like authentic power it's like the journey of what seems so elusive and it's right there if you are willing to set down your need to control
1: yeah yeah
0: You just don't need to control and hold on, right? And if you let go, you realize, oh yeah, never never in control. It's there's never certainty. No. And by just surrendering that and knowing that I can be with this, like John Cabotzin says, like things are as they are and I can be with them just as they are. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, mic drop. But for yeah. people who are hearing this and their whole being is lighting up and they're still confused, right? <laughs> yeah. Because they, they haven't memorized that place inside of them yet. Right. They know, they know it's there, but they haven't memorized it. Can we unpack this a little more?
1: For sure. Happily. Let,
0: let's unpack... There's two big parts I want to unpack. What one is the entanglement theory piece of the science of, oh, now I've lifted the veil and like, boom, there she is. That's a whole gorgeous piece. The first other piece though, before that is how can you keep talking and saying more about how your entire body felt at peace when you accepted, I don't know, and let that be enough. Talk more about that because everybody right now has access to that same joy. Yeah, They can do that. And it's still, we're very much in a reality of externalizing. Like I can yeah. only be happy if I can just get this yeah. money sustainable, if I can just get this person to change, if I can, right? So we're, we're constantly yeah. striving for a sense of control that makes us feel very scared all the time. So say yeah. say more about how we all have access to whatever feeling that is and how we can find it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. And I love how like in tune you are with the whole narrative. And I'm going to go a step deeper for you because you said like the surrender of control. And that's a bit of a misnomer and what people try to do. But the person who's trying to surrender to control is the precursor to the need to control. So the real surrender is not of the behavioral adaptation, in this case, of word control, but rather of the person you think you are that is living in fear that has the tendency to try to control. So it's the surrender of self. So this equally is to unpack your question of the freedom that cascaded through my body was my assertion was, it was the relinquishment of the idea of myself, right? The identity that I had unbeknownst to myself refined and honed, and chiseled over time, based on my experiences, like we all do. So it's no fault of anybody right now, if somebody is listening, and they're like, oh, gosh, I'm such a control freak. We want to bring compassion to that. It's not that you're a control freak, that's a maladaptation to some past trauma, where maybe you're in an environment that was scary, or dad would raise his voice after a few too many beers, or there was a mercurial energy from your Or And so the child learns that my environment is fundamentally not safe. And so the best way for me to protect the cope and survive is that I need to be able to control my environment. So really, now it's an adult, but with the linguistic nervousness and anxiety of a child that's driving the behavior to try and fundamentally just to make it right. So that's where it makes
0: perfect is. sense. Yeah.
1: So for me at that moment, the part of me that couldn't sleep, the lost weight that was calling friends, that aspect of me died at that moment that I got the reconciliation of the need to know because that part of me who had obviously been so hurt when mum died and then dad went to work and never came back learned that life is not only uncertain, but it's tragic, right? And so the two had become sort of the merging of those experiences had become collapsed, right? So uncertainty was associated with worst-case scenario, which is invariably how the brain tends to look at life, unfortunately. Totally. Right? And at that moment, I realized actually it was quite the antithesis for me because not only did I go from worst-case scenario to neutral of I don't know, but then I found pure possibility in not knowing. So if there were those three main buckets, most people hang out in the first one, which is uncertainty generates fear – which it doesn't, and we can get into that if you want, but it's how we relate to uncertainty. And then there's the neutral, which we could say is just complete surrender, which is, for most people, a massive upgrade in terms of liberation. But then I actually saw pure possibility, which is uncertainty was the realm of everything. And so that was the experience I had in my body. It was like in Hindu traditions, they talk about death as like taking off a tight shoe, Right, So they, they cry with the born and they laugh with the dead because they cry with the born because it's like, well, shit, you just stepped into this paradigm of suffering. Good Sorry. luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry about that. And they cry like, oh, thank God you got out of here. <laughs> you know? So for me, it was sort of very akin to a death, right, where the idea of myself that was based in the narrative of the loss, which no one would begrudge me, parents die. So I was very highly attuned to anything that might leave me that was of perceived value, which of course she was. So that's when I went into that cascade, which was really life being you know, generous. And I was the beneficiary of the events, which it's always the case, so that I could actually reconcile my fear of loss and be done with it, which was the cascade of freedom. I'm like, oh, I never lost anything. My parents died. And I'm not saying that was great. And I'm not saying that I don't miss them or wonder what it might've been like to be an adult and sit down and have dinner and know about their childhood. I never got to have those conversations, but nonetheless, I didn't lose anything. And then immediately there was just absolute freedom.
0: Every sentence is like just a gift. It's like a gift that's wrapped under the tree. It's beautiful. And uh, it's interesting because before we officially hit record, we're talking about Rupert Spira, who's such a beautiful gift to the world. Yeah. Also. And he when I asked him the origin story, it's the same story. It's about a girl who broke up with him. Do you oh, know that?
1: Okay. No, I didn't know his story. It's, okay, the same, his yeah. it's the
0: same story.
1: Yeah.
0: And how much pain he was in and all of that. And um, I experienced that. My husband and I we broke up when we were dating, and uh-huh. the way that I literally felt I was 27. I felt that if I had gone to a hospital, they, they would be able to see because that's how much physical pain I was in. (laughs) And my parents got divorced when I was little and there was a lot of abandonment. And I remember taking myself to UCLA to a meditation, a silent meditation retreat Uh feeling and sitting there feeling like somebody was literally taking my skin off. That's how bad it felt to sit still. And I was like, what a gift. That this is showing me the poison inside of me. I've heard Gary Zukov talk about that too. Like It's such a beautiful, valuable gifting when we experience these things because the other person is shining a light on what's reverberating inside of us that we can now lovingly let go of, that we can yeah. hopefully break through. Yeah. And you did. And now you help a lot of people with that as you're coaching people in all the different ways that you offer coaching. Where do people get stuck in this? Like, even though they hear you say it yeah, and they walk toward you because they get it and they're ready to get it. What do you see that gets them stuck in their resistance that doesn't let them fully surrender it?
1: I think there's a multitude of things, uh, invariably, you know, the most obvious being evidence, you know, fight for your limitations and they're yours. So invariably, it's very slippery, right? Because most people that are attracted to my work are, let's face it, usually mid twenties on, right? And probably older, thirties, forties. So at that point, conditioning is quite ingrained. And so, not only is the conditioning of the behavioral adaptations from childhood and we use the word trauma lightly but everything is a trauma that basically is the absence of love as far as I'm concerned so everybody's got trauma right because not every kid was perfectly loved and that I could argue that that's why you're here in this dimension is because you have stuff to process so you know you've attracted these circumstances perf- perfectly for whatever you're here to reconcile so the circumstances that then led to the behavioral adaptations that led to the identity of who we think we are means that we attract partners, careers, circumstances to reinforce the way that we view life. Basically, the way that life occurs to us is the way that we then think, feel, and act. So it becomes a vicious cycle of repetition. So I'll give you one example. Someone flew from London to work with me for three months. And she stayed in LA. And When she went home, she called me within 24 hours, and she said, I've just walked into my house, and I don't know whose house it is. And that spoke to this energetic signature of who she was relative to who she's become. Now, she had the the luxury of being in a different environment, in a hotel, coming to my house, meeting new people, different sort. And so it's almost like there's this gift of a blank canvas And oftentimes, you know, where people through survival will move cities, move countries, right, to, quote, unquote, try and get away from trauma, which can help, but oftentimes will only manifest further down the line because they actually haven't reconciled the deeper conditioning. So that's the biggest issue, really, is that people will have epiphanies. They'll go to these workshops and they'll jump up and down and they'll scream and (laughs) do whatever they do. But, like, people do, like, and go to legitimate. It could be a, a silent meditation for four days. But then they step back into, quote unquote, the old laundry, which is where they have unbeknownst themselves created an environment that supports who they were. And so it takes discernment. It takes concerted effort to break out of a conditioned environment for which most people were oblivious they've been in for 20, 30 years. Think about breaking out of orbit, right? And it takes a shit ton of energy with rockets and fuel, whatever. So it's akin to that. Breaking out of an identity is akin to that sort of degree of energy sometimes. Now, I say sometimes because Ramana Maharshi had a beautiful analogy. He said that people would walk into his ashram and he said, imagine that everybody is carrying a palm full of gunpowder. And he said that some people's palm with the gunpowder is completely submerged with water. And then some people it's just damp. And then some people the gunpowder is bone dry. Now, Raman Maharshi will say the one insight, the one distinction, the one taste study that is full of richness. The person whose gunpowder is covered in water may go, eh, it's kind of interesting. The person that's damp powder might really feel something, and the person that's dry gunpowder, the spark is sufficiently profound that there's no turning back. Once they hear that distinction or insight, then they're not the same person. And so that's akin to providing what I call systems of support for the new version of you. And so that's why most people can have epiphanies. Hopefully even during the course of this conversation, they'll have some revelations. But if they don't, then adjust their environment. And that includes people to accommodate for the new person they choose to be. Then it's easy to drift back to who they've been.
0: I just want to sit here and listen to you from now till the end of time, all I want to do is listen, (laughs) you know, when people are just playing the most beautiful music, and your whole body just has an exhale. And you're like, I just want to sit here and listen to this music, because I'm, I'm taken home. And that's such a gift you give Peter, because when you offer that frequency, and that's the radio station you play, just hearing the music, everybody tunes in, and then they're harmonizing with you without even knowing it. It's just like, That's what resonance is. Like we become in resonance then with you, which is clearly why you are such a sought after coach and teacher and all of those things. And it's so beautiful. And it's like, I want to like talk about 19 of the things you just said. (laughs)
1: Let's
0: talk about the second bucket that I talked about before.
1: Entanglement.
0: Yeah, because I love it and people love it too. But They don't really get it, even though they want to get it. Yeah. So, let's talk about that science. Like, let's really yeah. talk about the way Einstein saw the world in 10 dimensions and energy and how it's yeah. actually what's going on even though the illusion of this separate this is so insistent. Yeah. Um it just doesn't hold any water. Science right. science based.
1: It really is such a conundrum, isn't it? And it's so beautifully <laughs> designed because Like Tesla said, if you want to understand the universe, think in terms of frequency, vibration, and energy, right? Right. So really, that's what I'm speaking to is, so right now, as people listen, they're under the illusion that there's a them there, right? That there's a person, there's an individual, there's a me or an I. And I'm not denying the presence of that, but I want people to consider it's nothing but a conversation. So, as I will say, in the most flattering and disarming way, everybody's just a walking conversation. So, who you think you are, Kathy, Peter, Tom, Dick, Harry, you know, who we are for ourselves is fundamentally a string of conversations that we've accumulated over time that then sort of create this idea of who we think we are that we call a persona, right? Your personality creating your personal reality. And even I think in Greek mythology, the persona was, they would call that like the facade, the mask, they would have these bullhorns when they did plays. And that's what they would speak through as though that's who they were with this mask, right? So very similarly, like in um, V for Vendetta, which is such a powerful film and sadly seems to be art imitating life right now uh, with what's going on in the world. But Stephen Fry, who's a British actor, actually more known for being a comedian, but he played a great role in it. And he said, in one of his lines, he said, you wear a mask for so long, you forget who you are. And so there's this sort of like hypnosis of oneself. And so that's the illusion of separation. And beneath it, there is always entanglement or unity. Now, here's the rub, right? And this is where I explain to my more advanced spiritual friends, clients, is they're like, wow, that's so fucked up. It's like, yeah, I know. But if it weren't for diversity, we wouldn't get to discover unity. And that's why it's so brilliant because unity doesn't have any frame of reference, right? So we have to have the illusory experience of ourselves so that we can reconcile whatever we arrive with in terms of constraints and fears and limitations. So that's our own soul's individual journey. But then in doing so, we recognize that underneath all of it is unity and it was never not there. We were just under the impression. And look at the words that we use, like relationship, to relate, relativity. Anything to do in the realm of relating implies two or more, right? So actually in language, we perpetuate the idea of others. And so then in a relationship, it's like, oh my God, we're so connected. I'm like, well, no shit, you've always been connected. (laughs) You just didn't know that because you had some story about your own inadequacies, insecurities and scarcities. And so today, And, you know, thankfully, between the two of you you sort of reconcile some of them, and then you fell in love. But love was always present. It was the illusion of the absence of it based on the fact that you didn't have that for yourself. And that's what gets in the way of fundamentally entanglement and unity.
0: Yeah, it's all just so good. And what's amazing is how we're constantly being shown this conditioning, right? Where Mm -hmm. it's like, it's just incredible. I mean, the tool right? Of social media, which in a way, love is always there. And look how connected we are like right? that in a second with somebody anywhere. I mean, it literally is so meta. And yeah. yet so often the way people are using it is to create content around divisiveness and yeah. identity. Like, yeah. Uh, she's on this side of the political aisle. They're this. I don't like these people. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like it's like a washing machine. So I have unfollowed so much of that. And like my feed, I just curate it so beautifully. Like I, I follow you and I follow, you know, and I'm like, ah, oh, I want to be reminded. I want to be plugged into to truth, to reality. Yeah. It's interesting. My daughter who's nine years old, we were driving home just a few weeks ago. And she says to me, mommy, you know how I play, like they play Minecraft and Roblox. They have these worlds. Uh I realized something about us as humans. I said, what? She goes, her name is Eliza. She goes, Eliza is my avatar. (laughs) And I go, that's exactly right. And she goes, because I'm a soul and you're a soul. Kathy's your avatar. I go, that's right. And I can change her all the time. And she goes, I get it now. I totally get it. These are just our avatars. And I'm like, Yes, and you can change your right. It was so brilliant from the mouth wow. of a nine year old. I was like,
1: That's amazing. He's yeah. right.
0: Cause we talk a lot about soul and how it, you know, anyways, let me ask you this question. Cause oh. this is how it actually then applies to our day to day. Okay. So you're having a moment. Yeah. Where you bump up against contrast. You realize that you're being a pleaser or you realize that you don't like something someone said. And now you're all animated inside, you're activated, right? Yeah. How in those moments when something occurs, when something goes off, can we recognize what you're saying right now and have the courage, have the courage to step into love, to step into a higher altitude so that we don't have to keep practicing these stress hormones so that we don't have to like hear what you're saying and then not actually apply it. Yeah. To the moments when we're being given a gift to see and shed these old patterns to see and shed the way our avatar like built a way to protect itself. It's like, how do we have the courage to dive in, to appreciate it, to see it, and then actually set down the old survival skill and be like, I am going to say this from love. I am going to see it differently. I am willing to walk away. I am willing to say what's true for me and allow people to have whatever experience they have, you know, all that stuff. It's like just the degree of codependency that we carry around with these old avatars that we're tired of playing them. We don't want to play them anymore. And we hear what you say and we go, yes, yes, yes. And then one little thing happens and we go, well, all of, all that Peter said is great, but not at Christmas dinner. I'm going to have to let that go (laughs) because at Christmas dinner, I know what I'm up against. So I'm just going to have to play this role really tightly. And it's like, no one actually wants to do that.
1: Perfect question. And I love your commitment to your audience and giving them something to like realistically and practically take away. So the first thing is to reframe what it is to get upset, right? So everything that you're pointing to, if we were to put under the auspices of one umbrella, we could say, it's like, oh, I got triggered or I got upset, right? Traffic, my mother-in-law, my boss, my spouse, whatever. So the first thing to recognize is what people typically now call, oh, you're triggering me, especially in this whole whatever world we're living in. Yeah, (laughs) Like everybody's upset by everything. It's like pathetic. But so really (laughs) it's about, (laughs) what is it like? uh, Offended by everything, ashamed of nothing. I saw as a recent meme, that just seems very appropriate. So yeah, so when someone gets offended or upset, we want to, first of all, look at that as a gift, not a problem. Because it's sort of ipso facto right now, like I'm upset and it's out there somewhere, right? It's like my boss, it's my spouse, it's my kids not listening to me. So the illusion from the perspective of the brain and the identity is that I'm feeling the way I'm feeling because of the circumstances of my life. So right there, because of that frame, you've already put yourself in a disempowering position. You're saying, I'm at the mercy of my circumstance, which goes back to your question about how do we reconcile or surrender Control, well, you first of all have to recognize that you are the generator of your own experience. You're not the victim of circumstance. If you really think you're the victim of circumstance, then well, it's only logical that you're going to constantly try to control circumstance because you don't want to be a victim or you don't want to feel upset. So we first have to understand the actual genesis of your experience, which is self. You're generating that based on your perspective. So once people can take that on, they're going to get a semblance of responsibility, which is the only place that you have any power to do anything right i'm fully responsible for my life even when i got t-boned by a guy going through a red light you know and i was on my vespa like people like wait how are you responsible i said well energetically in my karma he had to pay for a new bike like in terms of the practical level but if you don't own every aspect of your life then you are a victim so that's the first thing whatever you're experiencing is on you not because of something then once you get that you can start to investigate the validity of your experience and where is it actually being generated from, right? So if I'm upset by anything, then to me, it's a gift. Like, you know, there came a point in my life soon after the story I told you about the girl leaving, you know, where I actually started to lick my lips metaphorically at the idea of being upset by anything because I saw it as an opportunity to see where am I still confined? Where do I still not know the immense power that I am? right? Yeah. And so I not that I sought out to create conflict, but it was nonetheless a pivotal moment in my life where I no longer tried to avoid any of this suffering, but rather saw it as a catalyst for greater freedom. So that's the first thing is one, recognize the gift that first of all, you're responsible. Two, it's a gift whenever you get triggered. And then three, this is the work part is to reverse engineer. What is it that occurred? What did they say? What was the music I heard? What was the piece of information that I read? And where is that showing some sort of synergy with something that I had when I was younger, right? So for a girl, it could be as simple as, I feel scared when my boss raises his voice. Now, it may not even be to her, but her dad used to do that. And then as a little girl, she felt scared. And so then you can look at, okay, well, what did I decide at that moment? Well, I decided that I wasn't safe Oh my God, that's what I'm feeling now in this work environment. But I am actually safe. I'm, you know, 38, 42. I command good money. You know, there's comfortable chairs and there's good snacks in the breakout room. You're like, I'm okay. But the trigger is reminding me of like, wow, I decided at a young age that I fundamentally the way I related to life was not safe. So I would say those are the steps for people to be able to look at any kind of upset is take responsibility, recognize as a gift and then reverse engineer to see, okay, where does this correlate to something that I've experienced before? Because an upset is a reaction. Now, if you look at that word, it's a reaction. It's something that I've acting that I've done before. And so that's on me, not out there because every moment of life is brand new. So if I'm having a similar experience of something, that's my opportunity to see that I've done this before. And so what were the circumstances that I was in when I did that? And eventually you'll be able to, hopefully it takes a bit of work, but you'll be able to recognize what were the moments or the events that transpired that caused that part of my sort of identity to based in insecurity, inadequacy, or scarcity. They they tend to be the main three buckets that people live in.
0: I mean, it's amazing that we're at a point in consciousness where you can even say this out loud so coherently. And the fact that you can unpack this And there's still humans 12 feet away from us who are literally seeing reality completely the opposite, that they are constantly, they are a victim to every single thing that can happen and their happiness is nowhere in their grasp. I mean, I was sitting here thinking if it was a possibility to have you get up and in this exact same loving way, as you always are, like address the U.N., And said what you just said right yeah and if everyone could actually hear like they were actually available to hear how in one moment in one moment we would then have a very different world but instead you know whether it's an international political a geopolitical level or if it's what's happening with your mother-in-law or your neighborhood or just the way in which you're responding to a comment online it's the complete opposite the experience that most people are living, which is I cannot be at peace until this thing outside of me changes. Yeah. And therein lies all of the, the, the feeling of dysregulation, right? That's it. That's, that's all that really is going on. It's, it's so simple and yet simple can be so complex when yeah. you buy a story of, like you said, you buy a story of reality of yourself, which is just a conversation. It's an ongoing conversation, right? Deepak was here and he was like, who are you? what your body, which one, when you were eight, you like the same music you did when you were 14. What's the same? Nothing. Nothing about yourself is the same ever. It's all made up. It's a story. It keeps changing. The only thing that's the same is the consciousness part of you. That is all good. It's default is love. It's connected to everything else. It's only one infinite field. Like move the hell on. Like, what are you doing? And it's amazing. It's like, we just keep talking about it so much.
1: Yeah. Um, And I think that's where there is also room, as I said, for compassion because people would look at someone smoking or somebody somebody doing something that nowadays is through all the information we have definitely seen as ridiculous or pointless or silly. But when we have compassion, to Deepak's point, for sure, the only consistent theme of your life we could say is the essence of who you are, your true self, like the I am. But I would say there's also a very slippery part which is equally for most people consistent in their life, which is their subconscious idea of themselves. So, totally, and that's what I work on, right? And that's where, again, I love to bring compassion because I use the quote, you can't be held accountable for that which you're oblivious to.
0: Yeah, you're oblivious to it. There's just no awareness. That's really true. And you're just like, there's an artificial intelligence like running your brain and it's yes. and you, you can start to be aware of it and, and to change the program. And thank yes. God you're doing that. Let me ask you this question, okay? Because again, just to pull it into more and more and more of a framework of how we actually live. Yes. When I look at the pain points of my audience, who just the internet's a busy place with a lot of different, you know, music notes. The Mm -hmm. people who listen to the show are just like the kind ones, the empathetic ones, the the ones who just do the right thing. You know, so it's like I love this audience so much. Feel so held by them, seen by them. I just want to keep pouring into them. And here's where they get stuck. All of this feels right, which is why they keep listening. They're listening to, to this kind of a, a truth being told. And then it gets sort of in the blind spot again because they'll think to themselves, well, I want to put something in the world. I want to speak a truth. I want to be writing something, creating something, create a podcast, do something to, to show up for my calling. And all of a sudden, I feel people have to like me. And if they don't, Mm -hmm. I won't be able to tolerate it. We go right back, right? It's amazing. It's like, if I make something messy, what will they think? If I say what I really feel, will they unfollow? If I charge money for something, will they think that I don't appreciate how much hardship there is around money? So who am I to charge? I'm not joking. It's so, like you said, we're so unaware. We're so oblivious to how deeply this goes where we want other people to co-sign everything that we feel. We yeah. we're not free if that's the case, right? right? We we can't be in a state of love and need people to respond to us a certain way at the same time. That is totally controlling. And I know we've already now talked about this 19 different ways, but yeah. the bottom line is people want to feel free and yeah. they want to be able to go to Christmas dinner. wear the color suit they want to wear and say out loud what they want to say without holding how everyone's going to respond. And they're doing that because they need belonging and they'll choose belonging over authenticity. And they don't even realize that authenticity is really a choice because they're supposed to care because they shouldn't charge more money if people really can't afford things. And it's like, There's just this constant entanglement, not in a good way an entanglement of egos rather than souls. And so people in this audience have things that they want to do, but they're afraid they're not perfect enough. They're not able to speak what they want because they're still very tied into how everybody perceives and what they, and what they want from them, which is their approval.
1: No, I get it. So a few things you shared a lot. So (laughs) when you said that people choose belonging They're not. They're actually choosing survival, like you were using the analogy of like a Christmas dinner or whatever, because they're so preoccupied with the concern for what other people might say or think. So actually, it's the antithesis. This is why the mind is so seductive and slippery. The attempt to try and garner acceptance for another is the absence of belonging, because it's a pretense. You're lying. You're pretending to be somebody else. So if people truly want belonging, first of all, to go back to what I was saying earlier, unity is there. You can't not belong, right? So it's to what degree do you embrace that? Now, if somebody has a retort, a comment, a comeback, That's just what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you. I grew up in an environment where people would always say sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt me. And yet over here nowadays, it seems like nothing hurts people more than words. (laughs) Right. It's like, for me, I give the example of like, if I met someone at a dinner party or an event and I was saying my goodbyes and they said, oh, so nice to meet you. And I walk away. And then I subsequently find out that they told the person next to them, I hate that guy. That guy's an asshole then i 'm like i don't have any relationship to that person i'd much rather they say that to me i 'm not saying it would be pleasant to hear, but at least then I'm related right and then I know where I stand as it occurs in their reality i 'm not saying it's true, and I could perhaps understand well they have that perspective for some reason, and then I can be responsible for what did I do or say that might have generated them thinking that about me right so now i 'm in a relationship, so the irony is that, yes, one of the primal instincts of any being, any mammal, is to belong, right? It goes back to these deep DNA patterns. If you're kicked out of the tribe and you're in the middle of the jungle, you're not going to survive. It's just nowadays it's like comments and likes on social media or it's getting along with the in-laws or whatever. There's no saber-toothed tiger that's going to eat you. It's just you might be excommunicated from the next family gathering, which I understand, you know, for a lot of people can create fear. But ultimately, this comes down to these primal patterns of the fear of survival. So if people really get the true belonging, true belonging is the absence of the need to try and belong. Now, if you really get that, I don't think I've ever said those words quite in that order, but I have to write it down. (laughs) Is that I understand the mechanism by which people like edit themselves, but then they're being inauthentic. Right. So. If you truly want to be free, then the gift of your discomfort is what life is giving you to show where you're not. It goes back to what I said earlier. It's one of my most popular quotes. I say, life will present you with people and circumstance to reveal where you're not free. That's the game. So wherever you feel the absence of freedom, aka you're upset, you're discomforted, you're scared, awesome. You're not recognizing the magnanimity of who you truly are, your true essence, and that sense of belonging and power and love that is who you are. So, again, embrace it. Go to freaking Christmas dinner and say whatever the hell's on your mind. And, you know, you upset grandma and you know, it's like watching freaking wedding crashes. <laughs> like that, that dinner was the perfect example of people just, especially grandma, you know, saying whatever the fuck she wants to say. right? And it's actually comical because it's like a kid, right? Like go to a cocktail party. There could be people there that are all millionaires and they're dripped with their designer whatever's right from clothing to jewelry and then you throw a three-year-old in the mix who's running around and he's spilling shit and he goes up to one person and goes, why don't you have any hair? Why are you fat? You know, it's like, and it's brilliant because everyone else is thinking that, but no one wants to say it, right? So this is why I consider myself to be one of the most childlike people I know, not childish, it's a subtle distinction, but it's like to recognize that, we're all screwed. We're doing the best we can. No one knows where we're going. And it's okay. Right. And to give yourself permission to just say how it is. And it goes back to your habit sin quote of like, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, the way I said is, can I be with this? You know, life is the way it is. And can I find peace with that? And most people can't. And that's okay. But that's not a prescription for you to put yourself into further submission or to be suppressed in the way that you want to speak for fear of being judged. You know, when I help people in relationships and they have this same kind of narrative of like, oh, well, I can't say this or what about that? Or I'm like, listen, you've rejected yourself before you've even given anyone else an opportunity to do it for you. (laughs) Right? At least give it a shot and let them say no before you said no. So whether they're writing a book, they want to start a business to speak to your, you know, your audience, or they need to end a relationship, start a relationship. Like, what the hell do you have to lose? I mean, I tell my clients I mean, this is cliche, not one of my quotes, but it's like playing it safe is the riskiest way to live. That's one thing for people to recognize. And then I tell my athletes, particularly, if you're okay with every outcome, you've got nothing to fear.
2: Yeah.
1: And every outcome is a superimposition of your own imagination because you don't know what's going to happen until you try. So anyway, hopefully there was something in there for I mean, it.
0: it's so good. And it really comes down to something I've been thinking for the last few years is like, people always ask the question, always, there's always a moment where the question is, what am I supposed to do? And I think the real question is, how am I supposed to be? Yeah. Because all of the getting ahead, truly getting ahead, truly having progress is in how are you being? What meaning are you making of it? How clean are you with all of this? because it's not about strategy and here's the 10 steps to 8K months or whatever the, you know what I mean? It's like, or how are you going to get the girl? It's like, how are you clean with all that could be here, right? How are you showing up and interpreting and making meaning of things? And your work is so good. As we're sort of closing, I want people to know you have all of these different ways in which you coach. You have a mastermind, workshops, one-on-one coaching. And my question to you is, if you could just, free associate for a second.
1: Yeah.
0: And I were to say to you, what's your answer to what do you hope that people when they coach with you will walk away with? What if you distilled it, if you free associated and you're like here's really what for me it all boils down to, here's what I'm hoping that they they get, that they have when they're on the other side of that coaching. Like what do you feel you want them to walk away with?
1: I would say, and I've used this word a lot, and you're probably familiar with it just by virtue of having listened to me that what my gift to them, and it's a dissolution process, most people go to see experts for solutions, which only reinforces the fact that they think they have a problem. And I'm like, you don't. So the gift is the experience of freedom that they never even knew was available. It is the reconciliation of themselves. And this will go back. I I just wanted to make a comment about like your question before of like people can't express themselves or they're concerned about what someone's going to say at the Christmas table or they want to start a business. But who am I? And they don't want to charge and all of that. Right. That whole realm of feeling insufficient or inadequate. Yes. Yes. What I'll distill it down to people is you could say it's like a choice. Which game do you want to play? Do you want to play the game of trying as hard as I can, which by the way, you know, spoiler alert, is exhausting and futile. But if you want to play this game of trying to be loved and accepted by the world, that's the game most people play. Or are you going to play the game of discovering love and acceptance for myself? And right there, there are literally two experiences of being human. They are, distinct worlds we're all familiar with the first we've all done it i did it for three decades but for the last two i have been playing the game of i am love and acceptance now if someone can't meet me there that's fine but it's probably not someone i'm going to have over for thanksgiving or i'm certainly not going to date them so that is my invitation and what people would walk away with is the profound experience of true freedom which is the precursor to then two of my other qualities that are inherent, not because I'm giving them, but I'm helping them discover them in themselves, which is pure love and true possibility.
0: That's so beautiful. You know, I was thinking about how the ego always feels lack, right? Because it's separate. It feels separate from this oneness. Yeah. And as my rabbi taught me years ago, we are someone because we're some of the one. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's where all the yumminess is. Right. But the ego feels like I am Kathy. And so therefore I feel lack, I need to plug into something else. Right. And so what does it usually want? It wants more, it might want more audience, more money, more, something that gives it something else that will lead it to feel the feeling of abundance, fullness, because it feels lack, but the part of us that is, I am the part of us that is a soul, the part of us that is really always really real. doesn't yeah. feel It doesn't feel lack. And it's already feeling abundant. And it's already feeling love. And that's what you're saying. And I think when people come to you, at least I'm just guessing, because this is what I see in the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have written into me or talked to me. It's that feeling of lack, that there's something outside of me that I, I want yeah. and desire so that I can feel whole. And what you just said is you have no problem. You're already whole. You yeah. have, you have the freedom if you just let go of the story that you don't. Yeah. And um,
1: that's all it is. And and really just to both be compassionate, but be responsible with what I said is I understand that dynamic that people play. Like the, look at the design of our equipment of this mind body thing that we call us, right? The senses are externally focused. So we're under the impression that what we're looking for is some sort of exogenous source, right? Like I find love in someone else. It's my grandchildren where my love is or my lover, or it's my, my bank account where I find security or my check from my my company. And so it's very tempting to see that that's where we're going to find things, right? So I understand it. So again, we want to have compassion. But fundamentally, the greatest gift you can give yourself and consequently the world is to realize that you are everything you're looking for at the deepest level. It's only through the lens of inadequacy, the lens of insecurity, the lens of scarcity that you're under the impression that those will be fulfilled or filled by something outside of you. But that is one lethally slippery slope that leads to, you know, for many people, sadly, addiction and, and depression and anxiety because you can't fulfill on a lie you can't fulfill on a lie. And the lie that you're not enough, the lie that you're not safe, the lie that you're not loved will never, and I really want people to hear this, will never be reconciled by something outside of you. You may get temporary relief, just like an addict does from whatever substance. You may fall in love and you feel good about yourself for three, five, ten years. But when they leave you, you're devastated. Why? Because you never reconcile the story that you're not fundamentally loved. And so that I hope is the greatest gift for people is to reconcile the fact that you're not looking for something outside of you. You're actually looking to integrate, not even get rid of, but integrate your humanity, which by design is based in some pretense that there's something flawed about you. And there isn't.
0: That was so beautiful. So all the talk that's out there about Mm -hmm. manifesting. Yeah. Right. All of that. Even when you hear it from a spiritual place, there's a lot of those people too. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll help you do it, but spiritually, there's still inherently a reaching for something that is needed for me to be okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's like, well, if you're okay with everything now, that's when it shows up. Like you, because you, because someone could be listening and say, no, 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 no. See what happened. My favorite part of the conversation is with, he said, that's when the phone rang. And so I will do that if I can get the phone to ring. Do you see what I'm saying? It keeps going back to like, so fine. If I have to go into like surrender so that the phone rings, then I will. And it's like, no, that's exactly when he realized he didn't need the phone to ring. So it didn't matter that he called. Do you see what I'm saying? Obviously you see what I'm saying, but people are obsessed with it. They Uh, are obsessed with the vision boards, with the manifesting, with the Oracle decks, right? So. But let's say we are the creator and designer of our own movie, and you would like to be sitting in front of green trees and walking with people you enjoy, and you want to co-create that, right? So it's like, it's an interesting question, because you want to fully get everything you just said, because it's the truth. There's no other truth. This is it. Your access to feeling good and wholeness is here
2: totally
0: irrespective of those things that you keep predicating it on obviously yes and you also don't have to sit next to a dumpster and eat off the floor right you can stand up like my husband always says like when there's birds in downtown LA eating out of the sewer he goes they're stupid don't they know they have wings they could just go to Santa Monica like they can fly on the beach and he's right (laughs) they have a choice (laughs) you know so You don't have to sit there and decide that this is whatever, that's not what you're saying. And at the same time, what you are saying is there is no there, there other than here, right? So what do you say to people who are like, I love all of this, but Peter, the real reason I came to you is I do want to be a better executive and I want to make more money or the real reason I came to, and it's like, what, I guess my point is like, what do you have to say about that whole world? of co-creating a better life for ourselves, while really getting yeah. and, and understanding that this isn't a gimmick. The reason that phone rang, you weren't after that. No. you understand what my question is?
1: Oh, 100%. It's like okay. such a, a fun topic for me to discuss as I have many times. So the first thing is people don't want what they think they want. So you said they, you know, they want to be a better executive. They want to make more money. No, that's not what they want. Let's just take a completely random example. If we were to walk outside on any walk on any main street of any major city, and let's say Peter Krohn is a genie, which we could articulate I am at some level, <laughs> and I, I'm granting wishes, right? And I get, we go up to anyone and say, hey, i give you a wish. What would you like? For the most part, most people... Now, some people may have a grandma who's sick, and they're like, oh, please make my mom healthy. But for the most part, people are going to say, I want money, right? Yeah. And most people... Not understanding how, you know, certainly nowadays printing trillions of dollars and it's really affected things. Most people are going to say something like a million dollars, which based on the effed up economy we have really doesn't get you far, but let's play with it, right? Okay, okay, I'll give you a million dollars. But before I give you a million dollars, here's my question Have you ever had a million dollars? I'm going to say 99.9 points are going to say no. I'm like, okay, so then how do you know that's what you want? You've never had it. So this now speaks to your question. What I said is people don't want what they think they want. They are under the illusion that what they want is the catalyst for what they actually want, which is a feeling. It comes back to Tesla. They want a vibration. They want a frequency. They want to experience a particular aspect of themselves. And the illusion is that I can only access that when my circumstances are a certain way. And that's why most people go to the grave and they never quite got there, even though they said, I'm getting there, right? It all implies future. So that's the first thing for people to understand. You don't want what you think you want. You want the experience your brain is trying to convince you, you will like experience and Ghana by virtue of that. Now, the first thing to understand is you can access that experience now. Why? Because it was that feeling that generated the desire in the first place right? Now, then for sure, my phone ringing or whatever, I didn't want her to ring. And it wasn't even like a wanting, I just experienced freedom, which was the space that allowed the phone to ring in, right? Very subtle, but important distinction. This is why most people are terrible manifestors, not because they're not manifesting. People are, you can't not manifest. Manifestation is another fancy word for physics, right? I'm drinking this drink I'm manifesting, going to the bathroom and taking a pee later, right? (laughs) Not because I'm doing anything special, that's called physics, right? So manifestation, there's two predominant misnomers that people have. One, it's outside of them and it's based in the future. And then the third being, I have to do something. All of those are completely illusory. Manifestation is here. It's based on nothing that you do, but who you are. And it's not outside of you. They're the antithesis of all of them. So if you really want something, tap into the frequency that you think it's going to give you. You already have that. When do you have it? Now. It's not in the future. And then allow. It's an allowing. It's not a doing. It's an allowing for those things to show up. Then the only struggle for people is the illusion of time. Because sometimes they happen instantaneously. I got a call within 15 minutes. Wasn't even looking for it. But my resonance shifted and it allowed her to call, right? Right. Conversely, there are certain things that I have been feeling as an energetic signature that I know are going to happen. I just don't know when, but I have patience and trust, which most people don't. So that's that right there is the, the short 101 on manifestation as you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that you have to do because the you that thinks you have to do it is the obstacle to what you want right because it's based in lacking and security and scarcity and whatever so that's why you're trying to manifest because you're reinforcing that you don't have it it's so slippery and I get it and it's well intended but it's you're not wanting the thing you're wanting the experience you think it will bring you that is ironically on the other side of the you that you currently think you are Now, if anybody just got what I said, that was...
0: (laughs) We we totally got it. I totally got it. And my favorite, favorite part of all of it is you don't want what you think you want. You want the vibration. You want the frequency. Of course you do. I mean, I I was trying to explain to somebody what it feels like for me in those moments, right? When I was living for three years, walking through Jerusalem, it's like, I never went to the movies. I didn't even think about what was in the movie theater. I was so filled up on a spiritual level that I could eat an apple for dinner. And I was like over the moon or like being at a Joe Dispenza retreat for a week and just like the death of the avatar and how good it feels to walk the beach. Like, yeah, no, there's nothing that comes close to that feeling. Nothing. It's just. It is the best, best, best. You may have
1: seen it like some of my colleagues have recently been doing this five, seven day darkness retreat. You're literally bunkered up in a hole like you do not see an ounce of light for five or seven days. So there's a double door. There's centers that will like actually have been created to provide the service for people. So it's kind of like a massive reset, but I witnessed and I watched a couple of them and I feel like I'm so sensitive and in tune with other people's experience. It's almost like I vicariously went through the whole process because to your point about walking along the sand, eating an apple, like both of which to me point to the energy of presence, right? Which really when embodied is true connection. Mm-hmm. So when I saw these people come out of these darkness retreats, what they were experienced subjectively, their personal experience was the magnificence and the miracle that life is and I feel like so many people have just become so resigned and cynical about the beauty of this experience of being human and that is an opportunity even for myself I find that you know I'm a busy guy I'm up to many things I love to create and love to make a difference and reach many people and all those things and sometimes I eat and I notice wow. I'm probably the slowest at the table, but relative to how I want to eat, that was a bit hurried because my brain is like, well, you know, you've got all these things to attend to, right? And so there's a distinct intentionality now with me being with you right now or me in the way that I will eat. And not always, but that's my invitation to people, as cliche as it is, is slow down and be where you are as opposed to trying to be where you're not. And most people put all their time and energy into trying to be somewhere they're not. Now, it sounds so obvious to say, but hopefully people are like, oh my God, I do that all the time. And that is the absence of the richness and the fulfillment of being human because you're never fully where you are. And that's why you're under the illusion that you're missing something. But truly, truly, you ate an apple. My vision was of a strawberry. And I took a minute after I'd watched my friend come out of the darkness. And it probably took me like, It sounds insane, but about 10, 15 minutes to eat one strawberry. And I'm not saying that that's a prescription for living a full life, especially if you have kids and shit to take care of, but like just feel into the possibility of being so present with something in an experience. Maybe it's just with Eliza tonight, or when you go and see her, or your husband. You know, you take that extra second to be fully present and just notice how the experience of worth of yourself and life starts to escalate
0: everything you you say is just it's just gorgeous and i want you to tell everybody where they can follow you and where they can take part in any of the coaching different packages and different ways in which you teach just let us know that now and we'll put links in the show notes too
1: okay thank you the best place is just my site which is my name peter same for Instagrams, just at peter crone I am on Facebook. I don't spend much time on there, but that would be my name or the Mind Architect. And yeah, we've got some fun things coming. We just wrapped up our second mastermind that just brought everybody to tears. It's so powerful to witness online, in a group, mass transformation and liberation and the support from the community, which has now inspired me to create something called the Freedom Community which I wanted to make available to as many people because it's a very nominal fee per month. The masterminds obviously are more intense and more expensive, but this is just a place where you can join okay. a like-minded group of people. There's exclusive content once a week. And then once a month, you can do a QA and a with me as part of the group. How so- do they
0: join that? Is there a direct link?
1: If you go to my site, it'll be on there. Okay. And mm-hmm. actually very soon in about a week. So by the time this has come out, we will at the top of my... Instagram. I just found this out from my media guy. You can actually pin three posts, so it stays there. So that's what we're going to put at the top. So either either through my side or at the top of my Instagram, I will say the Freedom Community.
0: You are just the best. I mean, everything you offer is just—it's just all the best. And I'm so happy that we got to connect. And I'm going to just continue to send people your way and support you. And everybody is better because you were here today. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you for the beautiful words. It really means a lot to me. If I thought, you know, when I was 17 and I was orphaned, that I would be in a situation with a beautiful person like you and your huge audience, having the opportunity to just make noise, to say some words, obviously with the depth of resonance and love that could potentially impact millions of people's lives, I, I would have been stunned. And yet I'm here, and for that reason, I'm very grateful. So thank you for saying that. I'm really grateful that you reached out, and I'd be happy to do this again anytime if you wanted to.
0: Amazing. And thank you. That's so beautiful. Oh my God. How amazing is he? I love Peter. Okay. Here are the takeaways. Number one, you're just a walking conversation that creates this idea of your persona. It's your personality creating your personal reality, but underneath all of it is unity. Love has always been present. Number two, conflict is a gift, not a problem. You are the generator of your own experience. You're not the victim of circumstance. You're fully responsible for your life. Whatever you're experiencing is on you. Instead of avoiding pain and discomfort, see it as a catalyst for greater freedom. Number three, true belonging is the absence of the need to try and belong. Number four, playing it safe is the riskiest way to live. What do you have to lose? You don't know what's going to happen until you try. Number five, you can play the game of trying to be loved and accepted by the world, or you can play the game of discovering love and acceptance for yourself. It's your choice. Number six, the greatest gift you can give yourself and consequently the world is to realize that you are everything you are looking for at the deepest level. Number seven, manifestation is just another fancy word for physics. You don't want what you think you want. You want a feeling. You want a vibration. You want a frequency. You want to experience a particular aspect of yourself. You can tap into the frequency that you think it's going to give you because you already have that. It's not a doing. It's an allowing for those things to show up. Number eight, slow down and be where you are as opposed to trying to be where you're not. Take that extra second to be fully present and just notice how the experience of worth of yourself and life starts to escalate. Thank you so much for listening to this show. It means so much to me that you're here. I love that I get to have these conversations, but I would not be having these conversations. We've almost done 700 of them. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. So thank you so much for tuning in. We have so many good episodes coming up. So please make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you're loving the show, please take a second and share it share the link with someone. You can post about it on Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller. You can tag Peter at Peter Crone. Also leave us a review because it helps so much. It means so much to me. I, I look at those reviews probably once a week and I just smile from the deepest place. And we are about to do a huge giveaway the first week of January because it's going to be our six-year podcast anniversary. And if you've already left a review, you'll be eligible to win some pretty cool things. And finally... Just to remind you, if you want to join my program so you can learn how to bring in more money, getting paid to do what you love, and how to be in purpose every single day, go to kathyheller.com slash join. For those of you celebrating, merry everything, happy everything. I'll leave you with a song. Have a great
2: weekend. The loves for the happy holiday